Welcome everyone to the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stoner, and in today's episode of the Trail Life, I sit down with Nancy Hobbs of the American Trail Runners Association. We're going to sit and talk about what it means to be a trail runner and the top 10 things that all trail runners should know, whether you're a novice or competitive. But before we get into it, I want to take an opportunity and say thank you to all those that have supported the Endurance Race Series over the last nine years. The conversation I had with Nancy really showed what type of community the trail running actually is. So thank you. I feel blessed and honored to have been able to produce races for you, and I look forward to producing more as we're able to. So without further ado, my next guest, Nancy Hobbs. This episode of the Trail Life Podcast is brought to you by Blue Rub. Protect against friction, sow sores, train harder, perform better, recover faster with natural body care products from Blue Rub. See the entire collection at bluerub.com and by Bubs Naturals. Their mission is simple. Feel great, do good. Bubs helps fuel people to reach their maximum human potential through supplements sourced from nature's highest quality ingredients while giving 10% of all profits back to charity. Learn more about their NSF for sports certified collagen protein at bubsnaturals.com. Well, help me turn the turning. Well, help me get it right. Welcome back to the trail life. I really appreciate it. And, and it's always a, a pleasure to sit and chat with you. I learn so much every single time that, that we talk. So thank you for being here. You bet. And I learn as, as much as well. You know, the, the last time you were on the podcast, it was actually our first episode and it was more of a, a panel discussion. So I didn't really get a, a full opportunity to give a little bit of background about you. So to anybody who's listening in on this, in 1996, founded the American Trail Runners Association. In 1998, helped found the USATF Mountain Ultra Trail Council. Uh, and since 2000, she's served as a council member for the World Mountain Running Association. 2013, inducted into the Colorado Running Hall of Fame. Uh, let's see, you've also co-authored a couple different books, uh, one with Adam Gase, The Ultimate Guide to Trail Running. So these are accomplishments that you've given back to the trail running community. And that doesn't even include your racing accomplishments, which which that could be another conversation, I guess. So when I decided that I wanted to do a conversation about what it means to be a trail runner, literally you were the first person that I thought about. There was nobody else that I even considered talking to about this. So I'm excited to, to have that conversation with you. So I want to get right into it. What does it mean to be a trail runner and to be a trail runner in this community? Yeah. So the basic thing about being a trail runner is someone that goes out and enjoys the trails, whether they're walking, hiking, or running, and a combination of those three pursuits. Trail running doesn't always mean just because the word running is in there that you have to run every step of the way. A trail running is more experiential. So trail running means more than just the speed at which you're enjoying that activity. There's also the times that you're going to stop and take pictures and enjoy it. And I think the uh, there's a misnomer that people that run 100 miles, those are the only people that are real true trail runners. Mm-hmm. I look at anybody that goes out on the trail, whether it's 20 minutes, an hour or you know, 24 hours that you're out on the trail. You're a trail runner if you spend time 
with your feet on a surface that's not pavement. Mm-hmm. Um, that constitutes trail running to me. And I think further to that, when you look at what that community is, I think you know, running communities is great, but the trail running community is really a family and everybody is very supportive in that community. And any criticisms are more directed at at helpful comments than to say, hey, you know, you're not a sportsman or whatever it is that somebody's saying. There's more of that feedback to help you be the best that you can be. And there's granted, there's competitions when you get to the trail races and everything else. But at the end of the day, it's a family. People check on one another and because you have to in this sport. There's a, you know, there are some safety concerns on the trails. And I think it's really important. I was just at an event this past weekend and I saw one of the women running. She was one of the top runners and I saw her at the half marathon. It was a marathon event. I never saw her at the finish line. And I thought, well, gosh, what happened? And and I followed up and sent a note and said, you know, I didn't see you after the race. Um, you know, I, I knew she DNF, mm-hmm. but I just wanted to follow up and see, you know, are you okay? And that's what we do. And even though your competitors on the race course, you've got that family environment. And it's always interesting when you see roadrunners coming to trail and then we always say, you know, welcome to our family. Yes. Um, you know, and it's it's that um, welcoming. And, and I, I tell people because I've been on um, many teams as staff member and helped, um, you know, have people make their dreams come true being on um, teams internationally. And I always say you probably get a little tired of hearing from me because I want you to get all the information you can <laughs> and feel free to ask questions no matter what they are. We're here to help you. And now you've become a member of our family. Well, and that's, that is the thing that I, that I love about the most. And the more I, I am in this sport, the more I learn uh, how much this community supports one another. Yes. And, I, and I love that. Like I was talking to a, a friend of mine who runs all my races and, and she was telling me, we were talking about races and she's like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll just stop on the side of the trail during the run and, and cheer people on. If I know I'm in the back of the pack, like I have no problem stopping and clapping for people, high-fiving people. And I'm like, you know what, that's, that's, what's great about this community is, you know, there's, everybody supports one another. Yes. Like you said, there's competition when it comes to the races, but when it's all said and done, people just even want to see people be successful in this, in the sport and enjoy it, you know, and that's, and that's the thing and take it in and, and do it. So I, I, I love it when I always, you know, I, you get a chance to be a rate, like a race director like myself, and I can talk to all different runners at the end, at the finish line and they get to know who I am. I get to know who they are. So if they email me, you know, Oh yeah, that's right. How's, you know, how's your family? How's, how's, how's the kids, whatever it is. It's, it, it's just one of those, you know, becomes the family atmosphere. Like you said, I love that part, part about it. I feel like it's meant to be a safe space also emotionally because, you know, granted you're out there physically, but there's also a big spiritual, emotional connection with trail running. And a lot of people struggle with, I mean, we don't talk about it all the time, but we're talking about it more mental illness 
and things like that. And I, I think it's really important to have that family kind of structure where you can feel like you're in a safe space that you can talk about that. Or if you're, you know, in the LGBT community or, you know, diversity, all these issues that really matter to so many people, we need to all share that together and have people feel welcomed, runners that look like them, and just be that safe space, that kind of second family that is there to support their endeavors. From an ultra marathoner perspective, a 5K perspective, is there items that really people should know? I mean, you got people that have been in the industry for a while. You got people that are trying to get into it. And I think that's the beauty of, of what we do as a race organization is we see so many people that are starting to get into trail running because they want to do an ultra run. So when it comes to the things that people really need to know, what, what would be your, what would be your top 10 items that you would, that you would tell people? I, I, I always love this question because a lot of things you go, Oh yeah. You, you know, you go, Oh yeah, that's a, you know, a V8 moment. I get that. But there's some things that people don't really think about. The first thing is think time, not distance. So when you go out onto the trail, don't think, okay, I'm going to run a 5K. And you think of it in terms of what your mind thinks of as a road 5K, right? Go out and say, I think I'm going to go today. I'd like to do 30 minutes or 40 minutes, whatever the time frame is, or be it an hour. Think about it in terms of not how far you go, but just I'm going to go out and do a certain amount of time on the trail. And interestingly enough, sometimes you'll be running a half an hour and you do two miles. You might even only do one mile if you're going all uphill, right? So just look at that and, and kind of throw out some of those kind of pace per mile attitudes that you've got because they're going to be all over the map on a trail run because right. you've got so much different elements to the trail. So that would be like the first key point um, to make it relevant. Yeah. You know, that I think that's one of the, one of the biggest things I hear um, as a race director is what's the average pace per mile for the, you know, for the, the top, runners or, you know, what should I expect? Or, you know, and it's like, well, if you're coming over and you're a road runner, that's averaging six to eight miles a minute or uh, six to eight eight minute miles, sorry. um, You're not going to have that as an average in trail running. I think that's the one thing that people get thrown off at when they first start doing races or even just getting on out there and doing, doing a run themselves. Yeah. So that's a biggie. Yeah. Should we go on to some more fun ones? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I, I, I'm more, I'm let's, let's see it. Okay, here we go. So be prepared for the conditions, what they are and what they might become. So this is really key, especially if you live in an ever-changing environment and if you're planning on running for more than 20, 30, 40 minutes, because in the span of one, two, four hours, you're going to potentially go through many different types of climate. So when you go out the door, just because you look up at the sky and it's sunny doesn't mean you go out and you run in a t-shirt in short. Right. So be prepared for what might become on your run. Uh, and that means in terms of hydration, um, nutrition, apparel, and also your footwear. Um, so that is a real key one. So 
and I don't want to, I don't want to jump ahead in case there, there is something here, but um, so when you talk about be prepared for conditions and you're talking about clothing changes, you know, you got a jacket or you got a, um, some arm warmers or whatever it may be when it comes to changing those out and having a pack, you know, some kind of pack, would you, I mean, would you, how would you, how would you let people know like, okay, we need to change your clothes out or you need to take some clothing off. What, what would you suggest people do in that circumstance? Well, that's a good question about how to carry this. And a lot of people do have hydration packs, but you don't need to go out and buy one. You can carry a water bottle. Um, a lot of water bottles now have kind of a filtration. If you're out where there's water that you're going to get out of a stream and you can filter it on the run, um, you can tie a, a jacket around your waist. Um, you can run with, if you have shorts or capris or whatever you're wearing that has pockets, you can put things in your pockets. Um, so you don't necessarily have to take a hydration pack. Now, I will say a lot of times if I'm out on more of an adventure, um, I will take my hydration pack. I fill up my water bottles, uh, you know, the collapsible ones. I'll put one side water, one side electrolytes. And then I've got pockets for various things, whether it's, a, a, you know, a bar or some gels, um, you know, whatever it may be. And then I've also got pockets if I want to take my headband on or put a headband off. You know, it, it's just having those things. But I've run with uh, many people that have a hydration pack, but then they'll tie things on. So, you know, you almost look like you're in a yard sale, but <laughs> it's not a big problem because no. hey, you've got all your stuff, right? Yeah, well, exactly. Whatever you can, whatever you can manage the the extra gear, it's, it's totally fine. Like nobody's going to be staring at you, looking at you uh, all crazy eyed on the trails. That's for sure. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So should we move on to number three? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So markings vary from a little bit of marking to lots of marking on the trail. And I always suggest to people to carry a map in unfamiliar territory. And one of the easiest things to do is to take a photo on your phone and have that for ready access to look at it. Now, of course, you might be in an area where your battery drains or something, and then you're, you're, pretty much in big trouble because then you have no image there on your phone. So another idea is to um, take the map with you, but put it in a plastic baggie because A, you're probably going to sweat and it's going to become, you know, a, a piece, uh, paper's going to be everywhere. Um, and so keep it in a, a, a baggie or something like that. And then you can also use your baggie if you have to put something else in that. But carrying a map is really helpful. And the trails look different if you're going going east to west or you're going in different seasons of the year. So the identification and the the understanding of the trail and where you're running and the markings is so important. And I learned a lot about this by doing where to trail running guides and going to different states, different regions, a different, you know, whether it's a state park, county park, city park, forest service, all the trails around the country are marked differently. Yep. And so that's a really 
key point, especially if you're running by yourself and you don't like to get lost. Now we've all been lost. Everybody raise their hand that's gotten lost. I know you can't see anybody. <laughs> I mean, oh, definitely. That, well, that's that's part of trail running. That's it's right. you're creating you're creating your own adventure. <laughs> that's what I like to call it. Yeah. Number two, and go prepared for what all the conditions are because heck, yeah. you might be out for an extra hour. Exactly. Um, but yeah, the markings on the trail is really key, and it's interesting. I, I've traveled all over the world, and I I love a lot of the the trail markings in Europe because oftentimes they're a little more endemic to the the space itself. In that, I mean, they use what's out there to mark a, a direction mm-hmm. or a route. Yeah. Um, whereas typically in the U.S. and even in you know other some other countries, um, you'll have markings that are uh, physically put there. So you have a combination many times of physically placed markers and also natural um, markings along the trail, whether it's a notch on a tree or or a colored, you know, a colored disc on a tree or something. You now there's there can be that combination of, of different types of markers. And, and one of the things too that I always notice, and it's really good for you know beginner trail runners or even trail runners going into a new area, um, that sometimes you know city parks or um, county parks, state parks, whatever it is, they'll have trail signs there and they'll have the mileage, but don't always bank on that exact mileage. Right. Because if it says one and a half miles and you get to a point where it's, you know, 1.7 and you still haven't reached the, the parking lot or not, don't get discouraged because it's sometimes those markings are off as well. I've always noticed that, too. Yeah, I think what I like to see and it's, I haven't noticed as, as much in the U.S., but um, I'll just give you a, a case in point. In New Zealand, they always put markings. They don't necessarily put the distance or they have a combination of distance and time. And so the time that's put there is typically on a round trip if it's a, you know, if it's an out and back or if it's a circular loop. And you can always look at that time that that's for your grandmother. That's how long your grandmother would take to kind of walk that route. So then you go, okay, I'm a little faster than my grandmother now. So I could do it in, you know, a quarter of the time, half the time, whatever that is. So I like personally having the marking, it's not always this way, mind you, but I like to have the the distance, whether it's in kilometers or miles and the time so that I can judge, all right, I know kind of where, how much time I need to do this particular segment. And also if I have my Garmin or Strava or some kind of uh, measuring device with me, I will know, oh, okay, it said it was six miles. I'm at seven miles and I've just finished. Or, you know, it, it'll be roughly that amount of distance, you know, as you're going on your merry way on the trail. Um, All right, so number four, what do we got? Okay, four is an easy one. We talked about a little bit before, walking is okay. And oftentimes I look at um, runs and I tell people, if you're doing a race, say you're doing a 5K, 10K, walk until it gets too easy, run until it gets too hard, and then repeat steps one and two until you get to the finish line. More oftentimes than not, I mean, you, you if you're coming into an area that you don't know, uh, you're going into some higher elevation than maybe you're used to, you know, don't be, don't be ashamed of, of walking. I think that's one of the, thing, the biggest things, you know, and a lot of our times, our group run uh, that we do on Tuesday nights, you know, our first quarter mile, you know, we're, we're hitting a huge hill, you know, before you even really get into the run. And uh, we always tell people right away, like, Hey, don't be ashamed to, to walk up this hill. Like there's, 
plenty of people that do it. You know, everybody does it in <laughs> trail running. It's it's going to happen. So I think I think have that understanding that there are going to be some times that you know walking is going to occur. Yeah, exactly. So the next one is to get the right footwear and you don't have to rush out the moment you hear this podcast and get a pair of trail running shoes. What I suggest, um, unless you want to get a big quiver of trail run, you know, shoes, trail running off, you know, different kinds of shoes to have in your quiver, a good transition shoe, something that, um, because not everybody lives right on a trailhead. Mm-hmm. So you're probably going to have to run to a trailhead or you're going to have a combination of maybe some pavement in the trail experience. So a good transition shoe is really, is really helpful. Um, I think if you're going to spend more time, like if you're spending 80 to 90% of your mileage per week on the trail, you're going to get want to get some trail specific footwear. Um, you know, that the grip, the stability, all those things are really key when you're out on the trail. So you know, ideally you're rotating your shoes like any good runner so that you can, that helps to avoid injuries, but don't just go out and buy, um, you know, a pair of trail running shoes immediately. Justify that purchase with how much time you're going to spend on the trail. And I always like to see, you know, buy more shoes. You know, I'm a big fan of run specialty and, you know, having, I think it's great to have like 10 pairs of trail running shoes and, <laughs> you know, I got, I, a shoe, I got a shoe that's good for uphill cause it's lightweight. I've got a shoe that's really good in the really cold weather. I've got one that has ice spikes in it. You know, I've got a, a bunch of different shoes, but I have the luxury that I'm fortunate that I get to wear test some shoes. So I have a little bit more in my quiver than maybe the next person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to narrow, to narrow that topic down, you know, cause not everybody's going to have the opportunity, like you said, to have 14 different pairs of shoes. So probably your best bet before, you know, the condition really that you're getting into, right. A good transition shoe is probably a good starter. Would you say? Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think if you could get <clears throat> two shoes, I think if you got one that has good gripping um, and then one that might be a little lighter weight and might be a, a, a transition shoe, that would be helpful. If you're planning on racing, I think it's good to have you know a racing shoe. But at the same time, that's if you're doing, say, if you're doing an uphill only race, you're going to want a lighter weight shoe. But if you're doing an ultra, you don't want that lighter weight shoe because you want some cushion, you want some support. Um, so again, as you mentioned, it does depend on the terrain, on what you're going to be running and trails are different all over the country. But if you are on the buttery smooth trails and, you know, in, in California, oftentimes you can get away with a road shoe, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, but then there are, and I, you know, I, I was in the Bay area and one of our, um, where to guides is San Francisco. And it also includes all the East, East Bay, North Bay, all the different trails. And I can tell you what, there are many different kinds of trails. There's rocky trails, there's rooted trails. So there's a lot of different terrain that you encounter just in, uh, you know, a, a certain area. Uh, what do you got next for us, Nance? Okay. So stop to enjoy the views um, and plan your steps a few in advance and look at the terrain underfoot. And this comes back to that walking is okay, that if you're going to take pictures and things, stop and enjoy the view. I mean, you can stop your watch at the same time if you want just to go, okay, you know, I don't want to <laughs> have t- my time consumed by taking a picture of the owl in the tree, but stop and enjoy the views and watch where you're going at all times. Because the minute you look up and go, oh, wow, look at that. 
the hawk up there is really pretty boom you're on the ground right yep. so um stop and enjoy the views and just to, as a as a point of that falling is is okay in trail running too <laughs> if you fall a little bit yeah it happens <laughs> it happens just getting your you know having um core work and ankle strength <laughs> and, and all that kind of stuff yeah falling happens but that it does come down to that point of enjoy the views but also just you know, make sure you know what's underfoot as you're going down. I mean, there's plenty of times, there's a lot of technical trails out there that if you're going downhill and you've got a couple rocks or roots poking out and you're, you are trying to see through the trees, you know, those are the times that can be dangerous for, for almost anybody. So just pay attention to, to what's around you, you know, both both above ground and and on ground, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then moving on to number seven, let someone know where you're going and when you expect to return if you're going out solo. Um, That's always an important one, just especially if you don't, if you've never been out to a particular area um, or you're visiting an area and have no really idea of how the trails are or what's, you know, what's around those trails. um, Just letting people kind of, hey, I'm going to be gone for a half an hour. You know, if you don't hear back from me or whatever, I'll text you when I get back. Just simple things like that definitely help out. Yeah. And the next one is if you're running with a group, say if you, you all meet, and I know you were talking about you have group runs, designate a person that's going to run in the front and a person that's going to run sweet. Work out as a group if you're going to stop at the intersections and wait for the people that are coming up behind or whether you're like, okay, the fasties are going to go here. We'll all meet back at the car at such and such a time. Decide with your group what the parameters of your group run are. Um, because if you go out thinking, oh, okay, somebody's going to watch, you know, somebody's going to take care of me. And, and, you know, I, I don't have to worry too much about where I'm at. And one of the reasons I bring this up is because it's happened to me where I've gotten left behind before. And interestingly enough, just recently I was on a group run and it was in an unfamiliar area and there was somebody that led the group out, but there was nobody at the behind to sweep. And guess who got lost? I'm raising my hand because it was me. <laughs> yeah. And I said, you know, on the next runs, we should have somebody that's running sweep. Well, of course, the next day we had another run and I got a phone call while I was running. So I was talking to somebody on the phone and guess what? Everybody was gone. I didn't know where I was. And I ended up out in the on this farm road um and i had to use my gps to get back to the to the start point (laughs) so i think it's really it's just you know common courtesy to decide what that is and don't get upset if at the beginning of your group that they say hey this isn't going to be a wait for group run you know just make sure those parameters are set when you go out with a group yeah. And I, I, you know, we, we get that a lot in our group and it's, I always tell people like, Hey, there's, there's always going to be somebody that sweeps, whether you're in the last one or two people, but we always want to make sure that, and I guess that comes from me being a race director is I don't ever want people to get lost on their and during the race. So I don't want people to get lost during a group run too, because it's supposed to be fun and everybody's right. supposed to enjoy it. And, yep. you know, especially now that it's darker uh, earlier. And if you got a headlamp and you're not really familiar with the area, you want to make sure that there's always somebody there to help point the direction, right. For those last few people, um, that are going. So yeah, always, always have a sweep and always have somebody to, to lead the way. So, um, so the next one, 
piggybacks on what we talked about with MAP, but goes in a little bit deeper dive. Um, Know the area where you're running. Are there challenging sections? Are there animal alerts on the trail? Is there, are they flood prone? So know those things in advance. And secondarily, and more important is don't go into areas that are posted, no running, hiking, walking, don't go past this fence. Um, It could be uh, fire mitigation. It could be wildlife that um, seasonally roaming in the area, or it could be um, mating or nesting territory. Private property. (laughs) Private property. Absolutely. So know all those things in advance um, of the area you're going. Yeah, we, uh, here's a quick story about the private property thing. We were doing a race and it must've been 2015. I think we were doing a race up in Fort Collins area and part of the trail was unknowingly to me was on private property. And so the signs, the private property signs had gotten knocked down. And I don't know if it was because of hunters or whatever, but we ran through, uh, we ran through on the trails on this private property and there were there were one or two hunters out there hunting deer, some kind of wildlife. And we found out after the event was over with that, you know, we were on their property and I, you know, I had to beg and plead for them to, you know, work with me on it. But it was, it's definitely one of those things that always make sure if you see some kind of fencing or barricade that you at least double check for any, any signs before you cross over. Cause that was, that was one mistake I will never make again, as far as, you know, crossing over and, and the, the fence line had like a, like a pedestrian entrance way to it. So we just assumed it was just like, Hey, they, they just had this. So no, no vehicles can come through, but yet still get people through. And without having those signs there, we had no idea. So we were lucky enough to you know, get everybody out of there safe. But I, yeah, I will never make that mistake again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, so are you ready for number 10? Yeah, let's finish it out. All right. So to run well downhill, you've got to train for downhill. Similarly, to run well uphill, you've got to train for uphill. So what I mean by that is I, there's a lot of people that'll go out running and they're used to running pretty much kind of that metronome step after step. And on a road, you're dealing with some ups and downs, but you're not dealing with then obstacles as well. And most roads don't go up 10, 20, you know, 40% for long periods of time where say if you're at the bottom of the ski hill and you're going to run up to the top. Well, you know, Uphill running after a little while, your calves get tired, you know, you're sore, your lungs are burning, you're thinking, oh my gosh, what have I done? So you've got to practice on the different terrain that you're going to be um, running on and doing, you know, once you get into the into the sport um, of trail running, think about whether you want to be, you know, if you want to excel at that uphill and that downhill, you're really going to have to do some training to do well at both the uphill and the downhill and and mix it up. Um, And I, interestingly enough, I didn't ever like running uphill. I was, this is really silly running uphill because you get out of breath and it's really steep. I'm a downhill runner. I I I can't run, right? (laughs) I've gotten way better about it. And one of the things I tell people, a tip that I give people for 
like if you're doing a long uphill is get into a gear that you know you can sustain for the duration of the climb. And that way you don't have those fits and starts of, you know, really gasping for air numerous times throughout your run. Um, And similarly on the downhill, that was my thing. I used to love running downhill. And as I've gotten older, my balance isn't quite as good. So I'm going, hmm, well, let me just focus a little more on my uphill because I I can do that a little better now because I... You know, I'm going a little slower and I don't have to worry so much about my proprioception and the balance issue. Um, but I think that's a real key takeaway for people, too. Nice. So one thing that you uh, didn't cover in your top 10 that that I had a question about was wildlife. Right. And most importantly, one of the trickiest things is during the summertime in certain areas, uh, you get rattlesnakes. What what should when you're a trail runner and you encounter you know, uh, let's, let's just call it a rattlesnake. What would, what would be your advice to, to some, to somebody out on the trails at that point? My um, relationship with snakes is not great. Um, and I say that because I'm the one that has the psycho scream. You can hear <laughs> a county away when I see a garter snake and I'm convinced that it's a rattlesnake even though it's a like to me, every snake is frightening, Gary. I run the other direction. I've been, I was on a run in Utah once and I saw baby snakes and I didn't get close enough to see if they were baby rattlesnakes, but I went the other direction and ran an entirely, I couldn't even run around them because I was afraid they were going to chase me. So I had this, this idea in my head. So, um, and I have seen several rattlesnakes running, but all the years I've been running, um, that's two. I mean, I've seen two rattlesnakes. I've been seen king snakes, bull snakes. It doesn't matter what the snake is. I get a little freaked out anytime I see it. But um, if it's coiled, you're a little more at risk of getting struck than you are if it's laying straight across the trail. My feeling is that um, you need to run and give it a wide berth, similar to if you run into a, a group of elk. Um, you don't run through the bull elk. You either go a different place or you run around them. And that's with, you know, pretty much any wildlife. And I mean, I've seen wild turkeys and things like that. I'm not as concerned about a wild turkey or you know, even a deer, unless it has antlers. And I've only seen, you know, one or two bears out running and I've seen, and they're, they've been a little more on the skittish side and I have uh, encountered one mountain lion on a trail run. Um, So I think, again, we talked about this and it's throughout those 10 tips is to just be alert and aware. I'm not a proponent of wearing headphones or any kind of earbuds or anything. One reason is because of the safety, but the other is you're out in nature and you want to hear bird song. You know, you want to hear the nature, not you know, uh, you know, Eminem talking in your ear about <laughs> uh, Detroit. So, um, yeah, I think it's just be aware. Well, that, that, it brings up a good point. I mean, that's one of the big things that uh, a lot of runners that are getting into trail running, and, you know, that's, that's one thing you definitely don't want to see. Um, you know, I, I get it. You know, when you're out running the streets and through town, you know, it's, it's not pretty to look at most of the time. So you want to just slap your music in, but even then you want to have your music on in a low, low volume so you can hear what's going on. So when you get into the trail running aspect of it, and we make, we make this statement at all of our races is listen, no, no headphones 
you know, so no music. And if you do, if you, if you, if your race depends on it, your life depends on it, at least just put one ear pod in. Don't, you don't need both ear pods in to, to hear the music and to hear what's going on around you too. It also comes down to um, when you're on single track, right? If you're on, if you're running on a single track, you're racing on single track and somebody's trying to pass by you and you've got your headphones in it, it, it ups the security aspect of it for, for you as the runner and for them as somebody trying to pass by, like they're trying to get off trail to get around you. You might not know what's coming up behind you. It could be anybody on the trail behind you. So you always want to make sure that you've got that volume on low or don't even have those uh, ear pods in at all for the trails. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Yeah. Well, Nance, again, I always learn so much when I, when I sit and have conversations with you. So I really appreciate you joining me today and, and giving our listeners a little bit of, you know, quick advice as far as what, what to expect as, as part of the trail running community. So I, I appreciate you and, and thank you again for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And and if people want to have a where to place to go beyond your website too, and find out about races and, and different tips you've got there, they can always go to trailrunner.com. We've got a lot of resources there um, and tips. Uh, you know, if anybody has any questions, I'm, I'm happy to answer any of those at any time. Perfect. Thanks, Nance. All right. Thanks. All right. That'll do it for this episode of The Trail Life. Special thanks to Nancy Hobbs for joining me on the conversation of what it means to be a trail runner and the top 10 things that all trail runners should know. I look forward to seeing you guys out on the trails real soon. This episode of the Trail Life Podcast is brought to you by Blue Rub. Protect against friction, sow sores, train harder, perform better, recover faster with natural body care products from Blue Rub. See the entire collection at bluerub.com. And by Bubs Naturals. Their mission is simple. Feel great, do good. Bubs helps fuel people to reach their maximum human potential through supplements sourced from nature's highest quality ingredients while giving 10% of all profits back to charity. Learn more about their NSF for sports certified collagen protein at bubsnaturals.com. Music provided by the Poor Dirty Astronauts with lyrics written by Matt Meyer. Matt Meyer.